Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages? If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com. We hope you enjoy this message. Matthew chapter 15. Was that funny, was it? <laughs> Did you like that? This needs to go higher, apparently. Just talk among yourselves. They're having to turn me up too loud, and that's what made that noise, isn't it? You see, I'm learning. I'm learning little bits about media. Is that all right? You're fine, yeah? All right, excellent. So, Matthew uh, chapter 15, and we're going to be in verse 21. To, uh, to 28. So today, this, uh, this morning, what we're going to be looking at is, I've, I've titled this message, The Power of Your Response. The Power of Yours and My Response. And it centres around the faith of the Canaanite woman uh, in Matthew 15. So if you're already there, is everybody there? Say yes if you're there. Yeah. Alright, we'll leave everybody else behind. So from verse 21 it says this, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, she keeps crying out after us. And he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Verse 27, yes it is Lord, she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith, your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. I think this is a real fantastic opportunity for us to look into a subject that, you know, if you've got ears to hear, like Tony said beforehand, then you know this will bless you this morning. But isn't that the same every single week? It doesn't matter what message is being preached or what preachers make the preaching the message. You know, every time that we open the Bible, every time we get around God's word, there's the opportunity for you to be able to learn, the opportunity for you to be able to humble your hearts and recognise that you don't know everything. That you could, you might just learn something that's going to help you and benefit you in your faith and in your life today. So you know, that's my that's my question before we get get started today. Are you are you here to learn? Are you here to, to be sharpened in your faith? No? Yes. Great, okay. So let's, uh, let's have a look a little bit at what's going on here in this account in Matthew. We see Jesus going about his... Is this, gonna, is this a problem? Do you want me to go back to the handheld? You all right? Okay. Um, so we see Jesus going about his di- uh, business with his disciples. He seemed to um, be trying, at this time his, his ministry has been going on for a little while and his popularity is beginning to grow beginning to grow and grow, the amount of people following him is growing, the miracles that he was performing was obviously uh, causing a massive stir uh, in, in that area of the world at that time, and, um, and so there was a lot of heat surrounding him, let's say there was a bit of heat surrounding him, the religious leaders of the day hated him for a few reasons, the main one being that he kept claiming that he was the son of God, but they were jealous of him as well, they were jealous of his popularity, they were jealous that he had something that they didn't. Um, so there was a lot of 
heat surrounding Jesus' ministry, and now and again he had to, get, to withdraw and get away. Um, so this is likely why he was in uh, this, this region of Tyre and Sidon, to be able to get away from the, you know, the dangers that were surrounding his ministry. John the Baptist, uh, as we know in the previous chapter, in chapter 14, had been beheaded, head cut off. So, you know, this, this goes to show the, the, the seriousness of what Jesus was ministering into. It's easy for us to overlook that, isn't it? You know, he was, he was, he was ministering in a, in a dangerous time, a really dangerous time. Uh, you know, John the Baptist having his head cut off showed the intolerance towards this new movement spearheaded by Jesus that they were trying to pull apart. You know, so it was intense. It was starting to get dangerous for him. So whilst in this region, a lady approaches him with a request regarding her daughter. Now this woman isn't just any old woman, right? We read it, don't we? And, uh, you know, in our morning devotion or whatever like that, and because you're in a rush and you've only got 20 minutes and you've got to eat your cornflakes, you quickly brush over some of the details. When you look deeper at these things, you can pull out some really great truths. So this woman approaches him regarding her daughter, but she's not just any old person. She's a Canaanite woman, all right? Now, to, this might not mean anything significant really to me and you this morning, but to a Jewish person of that day, it meant a lot. It meant a lot. The Canaanites were, uh, as, as most of you will know if you've read the Old Testament, an ancient enemy of Israel. And that's probably an understatement. They, they fought them tooth and nail to try and stop them from uh, taking a hold of the promise of God. The promise that goes all the way back to Abraham. That you know, I'm paraphrasing what it said, but... Um, the, the promise that you know, you're gonna, your descendants are going to be like the sand on the seashore. You're going to multiply. You're going to prosper. I'm going to give you a land where you can uh, prosper, where you can live under the blessing and the favor of God. Now, the Canaanites fought them and tried to stop them taking hold of that promise. So, to the Jewish people, the Canaanites were the epitome of everything that they couldn't abide. So before we get carried away uh, in all this like, social aspect of what's going on in this account... Um, you know, it, it, what's easy to do is read into it a little bit and come to some inaccurate conclusions. Like, for instance, some people think that, you know, because Jesus was snubbing this lady, because, you know, it's, there's no way of getting around it. It seems like he was being a bit rude to her. Like, he did call her a dog, didn't he? There's no way of getting around that. Look, all the translations say the same thing. He was calling her a dog. Whether that meant like a household nice pet or, you know, common street dog. Either way, you know, it's an insult, isn't it? And, uh, and so... What's easy for us to do is look into that and read into it and think that Jesus had some kind of prejudiced, biased agenda. And, uh, and, but nothing could be further from the truth. You know, Jesus simply states that his mission was first to go to the people of Israel. You know, this is, you know, let's just think the equivalent of us. We, we know that we're called to the ends of the earth, as the, the, Old Testament, uh, the New Testament um, model shows us. We're called to all people. But you know what, you've got a good claim to say that, you know, this is our area and we love it, so we're called first to reach our own locality. This is what Jesus was getting at. I'm here for the lost sheep of Israel first. But God's plan clearly was, was and still is to reunite people from, from every background, from every walk of life, from every nation, from every tribe, every tongue, every race, every people group that there is on this planet and ever has been. That was who Jesus was sent to, all right? So we see, like, we see this mission, we see God's mission unfolding um, you know, into the book of Acts. But even in the Gospels, 
You see, like these occasions where he goes and he ministers, not just to people from Israel, not just to Jewish people, but scattered all over the place. There's accounts of him, of him uh, breaking into, some, uh, into a Gentile's life, a non-Jewish person, and blessing them and working miracles in their lives. So you can see that this is part of God's plan. And then on into Acts, you know, we get the famous chapters uh, of uh, chapter 10, or in, uh, 10 and 11 where he speaks to Peter and says, you know, look, you, you know, you've got an agenda here. I'm... I want to save the whole world. This isn't just for the Jews. So, you know, you get them famous wor- words at the end of Acts 11, 18. It says, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. So we're all agreed. The gospel is for everybody, isn't it? The gospel is for everybody. How does that apply to us today? Well, that means that you know every person that you come into contact with in your workplace, every person that you come into contact with on your street, even the ones that are a bit of a pain in the you-know-what down the street and they let their kids loose and you know they're forever kicking their football at your greenhouse, it's for them as well, all right? It's not for a specific bunch of people that dress smart and come to church and say the right things. It's for everyone. God's plan, quite clearly, was to re- reunite to himself all of mankind. Like you need to know this morning that you are part of God's plan. It isn't just for certain special people, it's for all people. So back to the point, this lady, we established she's clearly part of God's mission. She's clearly God, part of God's mission, just as you and me and every other human being are. So this isn't just like some flyby incident that took place, you know, hoping to grab a quick word uh, with Jesus. This is, this is an appointment with destiny. This is just a little small portion of, uh, of the book of Matthew. But this is an appointment with destiny. But, like before the earth was created, God has set up this appointment for her to encounter himself. You know, and I want to say to you this morning that mine and your life are the same. You may think that your life's really mundane. I want to let you into a secret. Everybody thinks that, all right? The person sat next to you has days where they think, oh gosh, this is just a bit monotonous and it gets a bit boring and stuff. But in the midst of all that, the grace of God and his desire for all people to know himself is he sets up these encounters. Whether you realise it or not, he sets up encounters for us to be able to have a moment of revelation of who he is. So yours and my life are the same. In the, the, there are occasions where you know, maybe you're searching for an answer. You know, Tony talked this morning about disappointment, things not going the way that you expected it to happen. So maybe this morning, I just want to put it to you, maybe this is a moment that God has ordained for you to encounter himself. Because it's all, all well and good. We think that God wants to encounter us when things are going well in our lives. But when things aren't going so well in our lives, do you know what? I think he wants, to encounter, he wants us to encounter us that, him then as well. Maybe this is a, a moment where you're, you're looking for help. A moment where you're saying, you know, I'm in need. You know, whether this is a moment of contemplation where, you know, something's happening in your life and you can't get your head around it. You're saying, what's all this about, Lord? Maybe it's a sobering moment in your life. You know, me and my family have just had one of these uh, just recently in the last week. It's a sobering moment. And even as a Christian, somebody that, you know, has got the Bible, you know, uh, and, and you've got the Holy Spirit and you've had an encounter with God and you think, you know, I've got the truth available to me. It's living in my heart. It's still hard. And you contemplate things and you say, Lord, I, I don't really know what all this is about. I just want to say to you in those moments, stay faithful. Lean into God. Don't start to lean away from him and look for answers uh, anywhere else because the answer is always found in him. 
whether you get your head fully around it or not. Could be moments where, you know, the, the, the issue that you're facing is completely out of your control. And the only avenue left to look is to him. Have you, has anybody ever had one of these moments? Yeah? Everybody's hands should probably go up, shouldn't it? So I think that, you know, some of you have had them this week, as recent as, as right now. Like, you'll see that there are many of these occasions throughout your life. And they keep on coming back around because God, uh, in his grace and his patience, will keep setting us up with moments to be able to encounter himself. They just keep coming back around because God's gracious. He's bearing with mankind. You know, if he wasn't, then, you know, all the, all the people that loved him and believed in him would have just been whisked off and we'd go and sail off to heaven on the good ship lollipop, wouldn't we? But it's not like that, is it? There's a bit of a grittiness about faith. There's a bit of a stay putability about faith, a trusting in God for the time being, waiting for that glorious day, you know, when we're going to be with him, when everything's going to be perfect and all the suffering and pain and everything else ceases and all the anguish is gone and it's just a distant memory. But you know what, for, for now, God's calling to us for faithfulness. What's interesting in these moments is that, you know, of course, they're a recognition of that we need God. You know, when you get desperate, it, 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 it emphasizes, you know, your, your mortality. It emphasizes how fragile you are and how you're really not in control, doesn't it? When things don't go, don't go your way or something really troubling happens in your life, it, 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 should, it serves to humble you. It serves to humble you. It makes your heart subtle. It begins to soften your heart and open you up towards the fact that, you know what, I might just need God in all of this. But instead of just fixing it all, making our problems go away, you know, giving us a pat on the back, giving us a, at a boy, you know, sending us on our way with everything fixed up and all the wounds healed and everything. You know, God says, I want to see how you're going to respond to me. Now, as a loving father, God's not just interested in what you're facing at the minute. So I want, to, I want you to hear what I'm, saying, what I'm saying and what I'm not saying, all right? God isn't just interested in what you're facing. So, so he is interested in what's going on in your life right now. Because as Tony said earlier on, we know that there's people in here today that are going through some really tough circumstances. But he's not just interested in what you're facing right now in this very moment. He's interested in the state of your heart. Because the heart needs to be tested. To find out where your, where your heart is at, mine and your heart needs to be tested. Psalm 26 says this, Test me, Lord. Try me. Examine my heart and my mind. Sometimes God wants to, wants to see how we're going to respond in situations. This lady found herself in a position where everything was riding on her response. The outcome of the situation was riding on her response. Would she? So you know she's presented with the, with the, the option. Is she going to take offence? Which you might do if you got called a dog. I probably would as well. Would she take offence? Would she walk away angry? Would she get bitter? Would she get resentful? So ultimately what we're talking about is a choice here. And there's many things in mine and your life that we, uh, that we can't control. When situations happen in difficult circumstances, there's an array of things that are just out of our control completely. But the one thing that you can control, that you have, do, do have complete control over, is how you respond in those situations. So this morning I want to look at how this Canaanite woman responded to Jesus. 
We're going to, you know, I've got three points, a good old-fashioned three-point message. <laughs> um, but you know what, our responses, our response is incredible. You'll go far, you'll, you know, you'll do well to find our responses as amazing as this in the whole Bible. And there's great, there's, there's great examples of it. And you know what, I feel like if you can emulate this in your day-to-day -day life, in all the situations that you face when, you know, the boss is, uh, you know, getting on your back or when the, your wife or husband's going through a difficult time and, you know, you need to, you, you're presented with a, a situation where you've got to respond well. You know, things are out of control. The one thing in your control, remember that, is that you know, you, you can control how you respond. So the first point is this, and it's, it's in the form of a question. What is your response when God stays quiet? Just think about that for a moment. Think about your own life. What's your response? What's the first thing that you do when God stays quiet? Because it feels like, I don't know if you're, you're anything like me, but sometimes it feels like God always wants to speak until there's a time when I really, really want him to speak, and then he stays quiet. <laughs> it's like God's got a sense of humor, hasn't he? Either that or he just likes winding me up. So... Uh, Look at verse 22 and 23. It says, she came to him and said, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. But what did Jesus do, it says? He did not answer a word. Jesus didn't answer a word. So there, there are occasions in mine and your life where God stays quiet. Would you agree? There are occasions where God stays quiet. I've, I've heard people talk about this and I've heard my whole messages on this subject that, you know, that God always wants to speak. Do you know what? I, I think he does always want to communicate with mankind, absolutely. But for a purpose and sometimes for a spell and for a season because he wants to achieve something in your life, he, he intentionally stays quiet as well. The disciples, it seemed like, got the wrong end of the stick, you know, as they always seem to do. It's like they just didn't quite get him. They were a little bit dull. You know, and they're like, oh, you know, this woman's bothering Jesus. Let's go and say something. Let's just encourage him, and, you know, to get rid of her. They didn't realize what was going on. I feel like if I was one of the disciples, I'd be like that. You know, I'd, I'd be the one that always jumps to conclusions and stuff and cuts the ear off like Peter did and gets myself in all kinds of trouble because I just don't get Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus' silence, in fact, was an opportunity to see how she would respond. He was inviting her into a moment to be able to show what's in her heart, into a moment to show her faith. Jesus isn't, isn't cursing this woman, he isn't being horrible to her, but one thing he definitely is doing is he is putting her off, isn't he? He's putting her off. He definitely is reluctant, he's certainly reluctant to grant her request, and he's providing an obstacle for her faith. You know, you, very often you find out where your faith is at by the obstacles that you're that you come up against. So Jesus, is, Jesus here is actually providing an obstacle for her faith because he wants to test where she's at. Let's just try and, and uh, just get a bit of the context here this morning because I think this will help us uh, as we carry on into the next couple of points. Let's just get a bit of an understanding of the context, uh, what they were in. So in those days, there would have been um, this kind of weird mystic magician type uh, people that you know, wandered around offering a service, so to speak, and people that were, uh, it was very common for people to go and appeal to them for an exorcism if you know, one of their loved ones or one of their friends or family or something like that had, a, had an unclean spirit, a demon possessed, and they would go to them and, uh, and, and ask them to perform an exorcism. 
so what's going on here is that you, don't, you haven't just got a man here being rude to this woman. Jesus wasn't just being rude because he thinks he's too in, important to associate with this lady. What's in fact happening is he's leading her into a moment of revelation. Jesus wasn't just ignoring her. He was making a point by ignoring her. He wanted to know. He wanted her to know him for who he actually is. You know, not just some kind of mystic healer. Because it's, you know, maybe, maybe that's what she thought. Maybe she thought, you know, he's just like the rest of them and, you know, he could maybe help me in this situation. He wanted her to understand who he actually is, as in the Son of God. So he was reluctant to grant a request because he wanted, he wanted her knowing who he actually is. And he does the very same thing, but slightly different in a different way with his disciples just a couple of chapters down the line. You'll probably recall this. Matthew 16 and 13 says this. He asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? He's inviting them into a moment of revelation, isn't he? He wasn't being, you know, insecure, uh, you know, and looking for compliments and a pat on the back and say, yeah, look, we, you know, we know that you're a great person. He wasn't being insecure or anything like that. He wanted to know what his disciples actually thought of him. Was he just some kind of great guy? Was he just a flash in the pan, one of the many messianic uprisings that were happening uh, in that area of the world at that time to rebel against the Romans or... Or was he something more than that? Like you see, the deal is, God is, is interested in your need. You've got to know that. God is interested in your need. And he cares about all the details of your life, both big and small. But he's most interested, his main interest is who you say he is. Because everybody's got an opinion about who Jesus is. You know, to this very day, you know, people have got an idea, haven't they, of, of who, who he is. You know, you, you go and ask the average person, you know, you do a survey of about a thousand people, you'll get all kinds of ideas about who Jesus is. You, you know, he was a, a nice guy. Or, you know, he was, um, he was somebody who helped people behave better, kind of like a, a behavioural therapist or something like that. Or he was an activist that helped the cause of women and children. And you know what, the, the, some of these ideas like a, you know, are relatively true by all accounts. He was a nice guy, seemed like a very nice guy from what we read about him. People loved to spend time with him, you know, and he did help women and children. He helped them, you know, where everybody else uh, saw them in a degrading kind of way. Jesus actually revolutionized the way that the world sees women and children. So that's true. But he's so much more than that. He's so much more than that, isn't he? He's the son of God. Colossians says it uh, clearly and perfectly. I always come back to this verse. This Colossians 1, 15 to 17. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, back to our question. What, what do you do when God stays quiet? Is it that he just hasn't heard, or heard our need? Is it because he just isn't interested? Because, you know, you need to know that you know, God is more interested than anybody. God's more interested about you than even your, even your spouse, even the, your children, even the closest people in your life. You need to know that he's, he's the most 
interested person. But these moments in our lives, they, they serve to invite us into a moment of, a great, greater moments of revelation, if you will allow them, because it's all, it all depends on trust, of course. Our response has to be trust, because if we don't trust that God loves us and that he's always looking out for us and always wants the, the best for us, even when the situation looks bleak, even when it looks awful and you think, where is God in all of this? If you don't trust that he wants the very best for us, then it has the opposite effect, you know, and the connection between us and himself can be, you know, it can suffer. It can be severed, so to speak. And instead of taking te- steps towards him, we can take steps away from him. But you know what? It seems like, I think I can say this with certainty, it seems like a risk that God's willing to take in mine and your life. It seems like a risk that he's willing to take. Like I can vouch for it in my own life that, you know, in the moments when I've drawn nearest to God, actually aren't the moments when everything's all right, but it's actually in the darkest moments of my life when God actually seems to be a little bit distant. Like now I know, right? Now I know that you know, he'll never leave us, he'll never forsake us. The reality is that he is always there. But the feeling, very often, is that, that God's nowhere to be seen. But it's amazing that the, the times when I've felt closest to God isn't when everything's going swimmingly, isn't when everything's going great, but it's actually when everything's tough. And there's loss in your life, and there's moments of grief, there's moments of anguish, and... You know, there's moments of illness or there's moments of, you know, your relationships, you know, falling apart. And all of these different things, we've all got different things going on in our lives. I'm just using examples. But in the moments, if you trust God and you lean into him, as I said, actually it can, it can serve to bring you closer to him. Like for instance, I thought about an example. And, you know, if I'm away for, if I'm away for a few days which doesn't happen very often, but occasionally it does. You know, I, I start to miss Lucy and the kids. I start to miss home. I start to miss the people that are closest to me. And, you know, fair dues, like, she's not in here, is she? Fair dues, the first day, like, you think to yourself, my word, freedom. This is awesome. Like, you know, you're walking down the street. You know, you're walking down the street. It's bringing your step, and you're like, oh, yeah. It's like 9 o'clock at night and you're thinking, I haven't got to put anybody to bed, I haven't got to do anything, this is fantastic, what am I going to do with all this free time? And it's amazing the first day, but then a strange thing happens, like the next day, the next day after that, this feeling starts to rise in you, and you're starting to miss them, you're starting to miss them, aren't you? And it starts to, it adds to this desire that you want to, you want to be back with them, you want to be in their company, you know, and all this... It makes me think that, you know, the, there's a bit of truth in the old saying, isn't there, that absence makes the heart grow fonder. And it has the same effect in our relationship with God. The same happens in our relationship with God. That if your response, you know, in his brief moments of silence is trust, that he does love you, that he does think the world of you, that he hasn't actually gone anywhere, then it actually serves to bring you closer to him. And I think we actually develop more in our relationship with God and draw closer to him in those moments rather than in the moment. Because, sure, you do grow when everything's going fantastic. You still grow. But it's almost like you're in a spiritual greenhouse when things, are, when things aren't going your way and when things are tough. Because it, it, it serves to, to humble your heart and you recognize this need that, you know what, I haven't got the answers to all this. I've got, I've got to look to God. So the next thing, we're going to move on to our next point. 
The next point is this. Her response was persistence. Her response was persistence. Like, just think about what an amazing statement of faith this is. You know, in the, in the fact that, you know, her circumstances and her background as a Canaanite didn't offer her much hope in this situation, did it? Like, first, it remains silent to her, her first plea. Just ignores her. And then she comes back and... Uh, uh, and then he only answers her after the disciples insist that he sends her away. And then after making a more insistent plea to him, Jesus makes this statement that, you know, it, it, re- it seems to reinforce the, f- the disciples' opinion that she's bothering him. But then it's the third plea that changes everything. You know, and so, for such an amazing response, God grants her request and heals her daughter. The Canaanite woman, you know, she teaches us, and something amazing about the practice of faith. Like, just take a moment to consider her situation. This woman, as we know, uh, was a Canaanite. Her people's history didn't exactly offer her any comfort in this situation because, you know, the animosity and the hatred that the Canaanites had towards the people of Israel stemmed back centuries. Absolute centuries. You think about ingrained mindsets, do you know what I mean? People not liking, you know, that other people group. Simply, and they don't even realise why anymore. It's just so ingrained into their nature and it goes back so many generations that it's just that way. Like, she would have been battling this voice in her mind, you know, constantly speaking to her, saying, you know, don't, listening to her, her ancestors, listening to her father and her father's fathers and the fathers before that, and this opinion passed down the line, you know, don't listen to, don't listen to any Jew. You know, they'll just, they'll just shun you. They don't want anything to do with you. You know, and unfortunately, that, that mindset's still, you know, alive and well to this day, but that's a different subject, isn't it? Her, her lineage, her ancestry, her people's mindset would have told her not to expect anything from this Jewish rabbi. You know, why do you, why do you want to go to him for help? There's better sources. This guy's just going to turn you away. You know, he doesn't want anything to do with you because he just he doesn't really care about you at all. You know, these people have hated us for generations, and that hate still lives strong. This is what she would have been battling in her mindset. You know, sometimes we're that way, aren't we? We're, we're our own worst enemies, and we, we talk ourselves out of moments of faith, don't we? Saying, oh, well, you know, God won't want to do that for me, or, you know, uh, that won't happen at all. We are our own worst enemies at times. We talk ourselves out of things. But yet, this woman persisted and pushed through and refused to give up. But we can see that there's something deeper that's going on here. Because the fact is... Jesus did shun her, didn't he? He did ignore her. And at that moment, all of her suspicions would have been confirmed, wouldn't they? When she comes to him, she's worked herself up thinking, you know, I've got the courage to go and, go and ask him. You never know what's going to happen. Her suspicions would have just been confirmed, wouldn't they, when he just ignored her? Oh, gosh, I'm such an idiot. Why didn't I listen to, you know, why didn't I listen to my dad? Why didn't I listen to my grandparents? Why didn't I listen to... The, the generation after generation after generation that just said these Jews don't want anything to do with us. It would have confirmed all of our suspicions. I'm stupid for believing that he'd help me. My people were right. I'm foolish for ever thinking that he'd want to help me. We are enemies after all. But that wasn't a response, was it? That wasn't a response. Like Jesus blatantly ignored this woman. How rude. <laughs> but he blatantly ignored this woman, didn't he? But she didn't respond in that way. She didn't take offence. She persisted. She refused to be offended and she chose, to, uh, she chose to believe that Jesus was the answer to her need. You know, like what interests me in this, in this 
account as well in this scene in Matthew is that, you know, this was a great bridge building opportunity for Jesus. Like, let's face it, Jesus was pretty clued up, wasn't he, socially? He would have, he would have understood, you know, the, the, the differences that the Canaanites had and the Jews had. You know, so this was a great bridge building opportunity for him. You know, he would have seen the opportunity that presented itself. You know, I have this opportunity here to, you know, to alter a long-standing mindset here. You know, these two people groups have hated each other for absolute generations. You know, I could be the, the person that stands in the gap here. You know, this will add to my popularity. News of that will spread throughout the, you know, throughout her people and throughout my people. And you know what? You know, this could serve to, uh, to start to repair the relationship between these two people groups. You know, and it's, it sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? It sounds like, on the whole, that's something that you, you and I would go for, wouldn't it? But Jesus wasn't interested in that, was he? He wasn't interested in that. It wasn't, it's not like he was some kind of, you know, United Nations goodwill ambassador or anything like that, sent there to make people, people feel better about each other. He was interested in this lady. He was interested in the woman herself, just as he is interested in your life and he's interested in my life. Her salvation was his mission and purpose. That's the whole reason why he came. You know, her gaining an insight into, into who the Son of God is. Her having faith in not just some nice guy, but the one that created us, the one that we were created for. The purpose of it all, the reason why me and you are living. So Jesus intentionally ignored her to help her. She approached him asking him for help, but little did she know that the help that he was giving her was far beyond what she, what she was expecting to get. He rewarded her faith. He rewarded her uh, with the, the healing of, of her daughter, but at the same time, it's far more than that was going on, wasn't it? You know, sometimes for us, when, when things are going on in our lives, um, you know, and you've got a difficult situation... The main thing that you want to happen is a breakthrough and for the bad thing to go away or for the good thing to happen that makes it all better. And you're just looking at this thing, aren't you, that you're expecting to happen. But God sees a bigger picture than that. God sees a bigger picture than that. He sees a bigger person in you. He doesn't want you to just stay where you are. He wants to bring you to maturity. And that's of far greater value to him than giving you everything that you think you need. Just look at how this woman behaved at her darkest hour. She answered Jesus' silence and his first reply by continuing to beg for his help. You know, she essentially said, you know, I admit that I'm no more than a dog. That's basically what she was admitting. But even the little dogs are granted mercy from their master's table. Even they are permitted to eat the scraps that fall from their children's plates. You know what? So, so... It's like she was saying, I, I don't believe that you're going to do nothing for me. You know, because I've seen the way that you pe- help your people. I've seen your heart of compassion. I've seen how merciful you are. I've seen how you want to make a difference in people's lives. How you want to bring them through to a, a different level of maturity. I refuse to believe that you just want me to go away. And Jesus was absolutely delighted with her answer. You know, this desperate mother pushed through her fear and she believed. She responded with persistent faith and was rewarded beyond her expectations. 
Like the lesson that this woman teaches us is simple. You know, though God may test us in seemingly strange and unpredictable ways, because let's face it, that's what they can be like, aren't they? He will never turn away from his promises to help those who call on him in their time of need. And he'll never turn his back on true faith. So I just want to encourage you this morning in the things that you're facing right now. St- stick at it. Respond well. Don't refuse to get bitter. Refuse to get angry. Refuse to get resentful. Refuse to get offended. You know, why would you know, God you know, make him portray himself as being this awesome, good God and then not, you know, not come through for me in these situations? You need to understand, God is still a good God. God's still a good God. You know, you look at all the things that happen around the nation at this time, you know, with, you know, the attacks in Manchester, the attacks in London, the attacks here, this, that and the other. You know, we're not just talking terrorism. There's, there's evil all over the place, of course. But you know what? Even in the midst of all that, you and, you and, my, you and me have to respond by knowing God is still a good God. Yeah. God's still a good God. And then finally, this last point, and then we're going we're gonna to come to a close soon. I'll hand back over to Tony, but this last point is her response was humility. Her response was humble. She didn't act as though God owed her anything. You know, this is, this is one of the things that I'm fast growing to realise. Even at my relatively young age, what I am now, I'm fast growing to realise God doesn't owe me anything at all. God doesn't owe us anything at all. He gave us salvation by grace. That's more than any of us deserved. It's more than any of us deserve. And he gives you the opportunity to take hold of it with both hands and enjoy it and enjoy your life and not be fearful about what's around every corner and be insecure about this happening and that happening and the other and just be able to rest in the fact that, my gosh, my, my saviour has saved me. She refused to act as though God owed her anything. Verse 25 says this, Lord, help me, she said. And I, when I was reading that this week, I thought to myself, do you know what, that, I love that. I love that. Like, do you know something? That is one of the greatest declarations of faith that you can say. Because sometimes we, um, we often think of faith being about, you know, stirring yourself up and about courage and, you know, this outward... <sighs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I've got some gusto. It's all going to be all right. Oh, you know, punch the air. You know, I've got faith for this. And you know what? That's, that's valid, of course. You know, sometimes you have to be that way. You can't always act defeated. But one of the best declarations of faith that you can make is, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. To come humbly before God and say, Lord, help me, is a powerful admission of faith. It's not all about, you know, conjuring up, you know, bold statements and, you know, uh, Lord, help me, the cry of a, uh, help me is the, is the cry of a heart full of faith. So I want you to know that, you know what, I get away from that stereotype that the person full of faith is somebody that w- walks with a spring in their step. Like I said, you know, if you're, if you're constantly down and in the dumps all the time and stuff like that, then seek help. You know, get alongside people that have got some enthusiasm and are going to lift you up and help to build you up because you don't want to stay there. But you know what? A heart full of faith sometimes just cries out, God, help me, because this is beyond me. Help me. It's all right to be in that position. Some of you need to know that, that it's okay to be in that position. You know, that it's all right to be weak. Because God isn't impressed by the, heart, by the heart that thinks it's strong because he sees us laid bare for all that we actually are and he realises that you're weak. 
And he, re he realizes that the strongest person in the room is weak. Do you know what I mean? So you can't fool God. You may as well just be authentic. So I want you to take, as well, particular note this morning that she didn't approach, approach him with a sense of entitlement. Listen to the words that she says. She says, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She's admitting to, be, to being nothing more than a, than a household pet. Now, like, please hear this morning. What she's saying isn't like some, uh, this isn't low self-esteem. This isn't like, oh, poor girl, she should think more of herself, you know. She should be like the modern woman that's, you know, loud and proud and all this kind of stuff. Do you know what I mean? It's not that. That's not what's going on. This is an admission that there's a chasm between her and God. That same chasm that existed, if you're a Christian in this place, it existed between you and God. A chasm, a huge gulf between her and Jesus that compared to him and his righteousness, his you know, sinlessness and his perfection, that she would be blessed to enjoy even just some of the crumbs from the master's table. I think that's what a, what a great heart. What a great heart this woman had. I, I want to live with a heart like that that doesn't think you know, I'm the be-all and the end-all and I'm God's gift to the church and to mankind, but recognises, my gosh, if I didn't have Jesus in my life, if I didn't have his grace, then I wouldn't be anything. She responded in humility. And humility is based on, on truth. It begins with the recognition of God's infinite greatness and his holiness on the one hand and our weakness and our lack and our sinfulness on the other hand. No matter how fantastic the person, the abyss between God and that person is infinite. And humility is the recognition of that. That's what humility is. It isn't about you know, low self-esteem and that kind of thing. And I'm, I'm, I'm not worth anything, so I'm going to hide over here and I don't want anybody to see me because I'm being humble. That's not what humility is. It's recognising my weakness, God's greatness, and that by his grace, I'm going to take hold of the one that is great. Is that all right? Yes. This, this woman's response was humble. The recognition of her, of her lack and her need of him is what caught his attention. You know, if she responded by saying, you know, I'm not, I've, heard, I've heard people actually say before, it makes me laugh a little bit, I've, I've actually heard people talk about um, when they pray to God. And I can see where it kind of comes from because they're wanting to be like, full of faith, so it comes from kind of a pure heart, but it just makes me laugh that I've heard some people say, you know, I needed God to come through for something, I really needed him to come through for something for me, and it wasn't happening, so you know, I got, I got before God, and I said to him, Lord, this has, got, this has got to happen now, and I'm like, I don't think God responds to that, quite frankly, do you know what I mean, like, <laughs> he doesn't owe you anything, he's not scared of you, just because you raised your voice when you prayed, doesn't mean that he's now paying attention, he's, oh, oh, they made me jump, my word. Oh gosh, get the angel, get, go and see to that person because he spoke louder than the other one over there. I just think it's ridiculous nonsense, isn't it? But like, hear me, if, if you ever do that, I'm not getting at you. I'm saying that it comes from a, a pure motive, but it's just silly, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? When you realise the magnitude of God, he isn't scared by your determination or anything like that. What caught his attention and what catches your, uh, his attention in, in your life and my life still to this very day, is how you respond to it. It's the heart. It all comes back to the heart, where your heart's at. And you can test this yourself. 
You know, after this message, you know, go away this week and just be a bit observant about how you react in certain situations. You know, when somebody tells you that, you know, you're no longer in a certain position or something like that. You know, whether that's in the church or whether that's in your workplace or where, whatever scenario you're in. How do you react in that situation? That lets you know where your heart's at. It really does. Are you anchoring after you looking good or are you anchoring after the kingdom, kingdom of God? Because it's his kingdom, isn't it? It's his kingdom. And, you know, if I'm blessed to be in a position and serve him in a certain way, in a certain capacity, then, you know, that's, that's all praise and glory to him. But at any time he wants, you know, I, I could not be as well. But then you still have to respond well to him, otherwise you're just rebelling against him. So to conclude this morning, I'm going to invite Tony up again in a second. Um, but your response has the ability to pave the way for you into the will and the blessing of God. It has that ability. Because God waits to see your response in situations. But whilst at the same time, your response has the ability to cause damage as well. Your bad response has the ability to cause damage, a bad attitude. You know, uh, being fearful of things and letting it captivate you and keep you down. Being offended. Offense is a, a massive one. These all have the power to drive you away from God's plan for your life. What's, what's one of the most saddening things, I think, is when you, know, you see a person that's you know, really full of faith, and you guys that are, you know, that are new to, to, to Christianity and you've only recently gotten saved, you've only just given your life to Jesus, please hear these words loud and clear. You, know, you, want, you want to stay away from those kind of attitudes of the heart. Don't get offended. Don't get resentful. Don't get bitter. Because they have the, abil the ability to drive you away from God's plan for your life. It's so, it's so sad when you see somebody who's got all the gusto and all the energy and all the enthusiasm that being newly saved gives. And then something happens, you know, a year down the line. And all of a sudden you don't want anything to do with God. Because you responded badly. Had this woman's response been one of offence or one of anger or one of resentment or bitterness... This account may have, you know, may have been completely different. Maybe we wouldn't be using it as an example of faith and we'd be using it as an example of how not to respond in a situation. You know, there's plenty of them in the Bible as well. So this could have had a different outcome. But as it stands, this is an ex a, a, a magnificent example of faith that responds well. Faith responds well. You've got to know that. If you, if you claim to be a person that has faith in Jesus, you've got to know this, that faith always responds well. Faith hangs on and remains unmoved. And faith that attracts the attention of God. So, you know, we'll finish with, with, with two simple questions today. And I'm not going to... Just the questions, I'm not going to go into anything after them. I just want to leave them with you so you can contemplate on them if you're taking notes or whatever. So the first one was, you know, what are you facing currently? Which is an easy question because it's always on your mind, isn't it? When you're facing something, it's always on your mind. What are you facing currently? And the second question is, how will you respond? Okay? I'm going to leave you there.